Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. I'm one of your two hosts of the podcast. My business partner, Luke Neal, is the other. Normally, this would be his week to record, but because I'm going off to the mountains next week, I uh, decided to do two weeks in a row, and then he'll do two weeks in a row. So look at that. We'll just uh, we'll make it that way. And so as for the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast, if you're new to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast, you may not know what this is all about. But if you're an old listener, you'll get the idea here. But the Mandarin Blueprint project really is to try to make Mandarin learning much faster than it was before. So if you can imagine that before people had ideas about how you should learn Mandarin, but everybody just ended up super frustrated by them. (laughs) And that's the truth. That's the reality of the Mandarin learning world before Mandarin Blueprint. I mean, you know, there have been improvements on the margins throughout the past, you know, 20 years, but there hasn't been a full systemized overhaul that's happened that said, okay, look, we've been doing this wrong the whole time and we've been trying to fix in the margins. We need to just overhaul this whole learning system so that people can actually more efficiently master the language. And The way we've done that is by recognizing the two major principles of how to acquire language and then specifically how to acquire Chinese. So you acquire Chinese just like you acquire any other language, but there's a huge caveat involved. So how do you acquire any language? Well, any language requires you to have a lot of comprehensible input. Comprehensible input is a complicated way of saying reading that you can understand or listening that you can understand. So you hear somebody speaking Chinese or you read some Chinese and you understand the message. And so if you get that message, then what happens is you added a brick for your brain to kind of figure out, okay, I understood that message and then I understood these seven messages and then your brain kind of naturally in an incredibly amazing feat of our evolution naturally connects these different uh, patterns, which we might call grammar. I hate the word grammar and I hate the concept of studying grammar, but you know, you look at a pattern that your brain naturally picks up on and then you go, okay, that must be how you output the language, speak and write the language. And this is a natural process. Output is actually way more natural than you think it is. People say, oh, you want to learn Chinese, speak Chinese. No, you want to learn Chinese, listen and read Chinese until you understand. And then you will naturally want to speak and write. It's just a sort of, uh, it's as night follows day. If you get the input that you want to say, I mean, like, unless you're just listening to Chinese and understanding Chinese with no intention of ever using it, but I'm assuming that you're intending on using it, in which case you're naturally going to want to output at that point. You're going to want to speak. You're going to want to write. So fine. So you get some comprehensible input. That's fine. If you're learning French from English, cause you can start reading French on day one and sure it's simple French, but you can start because the puzzle pieces of the language are very similar. You know, there might be some small differences in the French alphabet versus the uh, English alphabet, but they're easy to figure out relative to Chinese. Chinese doesn't have an alphabet. It has characters and these characters building them up properly. So you, if you're reading Chinese and you don't know a single character, you don't know one single character in it, then you have to go, uh, What is this again? It's like seeing the word celebration, but not knowing the T-I-O-N at the end. So you go celebrate. What's that T-I-O-N? I I don't understand. I'm going to have to look that up. And so this happens all the time with Chinese. So what do you do? Well, most Chinese teachers have gone, I don't know. 
this is complicated. I'm not sure what you do. And unfortunately, that has left a lot of Chinese learners struggling and with material that is way too far above their level. Because if you want to get comprehensible input, really, you should know about 98% of the material. That's what's called extensive reading, which has been shown over and over to have the most efficient sort of language acquisition flow to it. If you know 98% of what you're reading, you're going to understand so much more quickly the overall language. But if you only know 60% of what you're reading, you have to stop, you have to get you get confused, you're frustrated. And so if you see a single character that you don't know, it can be very frustrating. And so what we've done with Mandarin Blueprint, we said, okay, here's the fastest way to learn a character. And that's the thing we call the Hanzi movie method. Now, I'm not going to go into that because we've gone into that a lot. And there's going to be a lot of the later part of the podcast that's about how we use mnemonic visualization to uh, learn a character really quickly. But if you learn a character really quickly, then what you can do is you can learn 100 characters in, say, you know, three days, right? Then you can take those 100 characters and put them together to create a bunch of sentences. And those sentences are going to be comprehensible because you know the characters. And then what you do is you keep learning characters while learning sentences that are made up of the characters you learn. And that leads into paragraphs made up of characters and words you've learned, into stories, into longer texts, articles, dialogues, all with native audio. And what the idea here is that the characters are your sort of compass. They're your map. And as you keep learning the characters, you stop having those situations where you don't know a character on the page. You look at, you're reading through and you go, I don't know what that means. And then it's just, I guess I have to look in the dictionary now because this is not a phonetic language and I can't just know. Now there might be some clues in the character, but you can't necessarily just know what it means. So you have to have a good method for learning characters. But that's a finite process. It's really important to understand about Chinese. That's a, that's a finite, finite process. It's like learning the alphabet or learning your basic prefixes and suffixes like ed and ing and stuff. Once you've learned all of them that are, I mean, technically there are hundreds of thousands of characters, but there are only about 3,000 that you need to know to get to the point where you're, you're understanding 98% of pretty much everything you're seeing, 98% or above of pretty much everything you're seeing in the world, whether it's a newspaper article or it's a sign or it's a, um, a magazine article or a novel. You're going to understand the vast majority if you get to 3,000 characters. But does that mean just learn 3,000 characters and do nothing? No. Mandarin Blueprint's idea is... As you're learning those characters, you can, at the same time, get comprehensible input that's graded to how many characters you know. So that means that you're starting to get a sense of grammar and you're starting to let your brain do this amazing feat of evolution where it pattern recognizes the uh, different things that are common across sentences with different content. So even though they have different content, their pattern is the same, and we might call that grammar, and then your brain naturally picks up, okay, these patterns are all the same, so I guess that means that I can use different words in this same structure and create a new sentence. It's actually quite a miraculous process, and it feels very good when you start to output after getting enough comprehensible input. So you build, you build, you build those characters, you learn through comprehensible input by having the 
content that you're reading only made up of the characters you know at that point, and then eventually you know enough characters that you no longer require Mandarin Blueprint because you just know enough. You know enough that you can just start reading Chinese content that's just in the world already. And it's a really beautiful process. And we're on the way to getting there. At the moment, we've built out the system so that there's content for up to 1,530 characters. And we're going to get all the way to 3,000 at some point. We're working on it. It's obviously every character unlocks a plethora of sentences and stories and and possibilities. So it is a long uh, process to make it. But... Boy, do people like it. So we made this podcast just to cover the course itself, answer questions that people have, and to generally update you on how things are going. So speaking of some updates, let's talk updates. What we have this week is, uh, as as I mentioned before, we've got the first six levels of the expansion that's going to go out to 1,530 characters finished. And the next five levels, uh, I've created the Anki decks. They're ready for Annie and Jerry to come over and record for the characters and uh, props. And then I've also set up the, or I've approved the five sent five levels of sentences. So that's a lot of sentences. And we are they're approved now, so we're ready to turn them into Anki decks. Add in our closed deletes and do our recording session for the next five levels. And then there's 10 levels to go after that. And the sentences are already written. We have to go through the approval process and all of that, but it's on its way. So very soon the entire expansion will be ready. And when the entire expansion is ready to go, before we expand again, we're going to add in some extra videos, some extra help along the way, some extra content just for your more advanced level at that point in the course. And then once that's ready to go, I'll go back to probably finishing up to 3000, which will be a gargantuan project. It'll probably take me maybe, uh, you know, eight months to a year to to finish, but you know, I'm going to work on that. And then we'll be ready to go. So everything's really exciting at the moment. It's a lot of moving parts, but let's get into this week's questions. One, um, before we get into the questions, one thing, just as a reminder, in case you missed last week's podcast, if you are a PC or Windows user and you're on the course, uh, we discovered that Microsoft Edge, which is the newer version of Internet Explorer, apparently they've stopped uh, making it, uh, I, I guess. So that being the case, if you're a Mac user, you can use iBooks to read our EPUB files. It's no problem. But if you are a PC or Windows user, there are two links in the show notes. One is www.ofoct.com, and that has an EPUB reader online there. And then you've got fviewer.com slash view uh, hyphen EPUB. That is those are two EPUB readers online that we found that will work with our EPUB files. They'll play the audio files and uh, they'll work just fine. Those EPUB files are great because they have the what's called interleaved learning. You have the reading and the listening all on the same page, which is pretty cool. Okay, so first we're going to talk about props. Props is Mandarin Blueprint's metaphorical word for the imaginary objects that we decide will represent an individual Chinese character component. So a Chinese character usually has two or three components in it. We imagine in our mind's eye two or three objects to represent the aspects of the character. And so 
we gave suggestions, Luke and I, at the very beginning of the course, and then what happens is each week people will submit their suggestions in the comments below uh, each lesson for that we call Pick a Prop. So these are comments from the Pick a Prop lessons and the suggestions for objects to represent these character components. First, we have River Nixon on Pick a Prop for P, which is the character that means skin. This character looks like an animal hide tanner, so I went with a giant one. Sure, well, that also has a double meaning because if it, I don't know about an animal hide tanner. I've never personally seen one, but if that's uh, what it looks like, then perfect because animal hide and skin are, you know, obviously quite related. So excellent type of prop there because you get the meaning and the appearance. And you can't always pull that off, but if you can, it, it makes it very, very memorable. So animal hide tanner for P. Alina Dana Corion, uh, Corion. I hope that Corion, Corion. I'm gonna go with that. Alina Dana Corion on pick a prop board Zoll, which means uh, to walk, and she goes with Johnny Walker, walking and saying, "Keep on walking" or "Keep walking." You know, it's funny. I did a uh, a gig here in um, Chengdu once, actually at the mall. It's about um, half a mile from my house. And uh, <laughs> they wanted us. It was for Johnny Walker. They were doing. They were trying to promote Johnny Walker whiskey in uh, China, and they asked myself and a friend of mine to dress up in these tuxedos and help promote Johnny Walker. This was like five years ago, and uh, <laughs> it was really fun. And the funny thing about it, though, was that all the Chinese people who came up and tried a little bit of it were like. Mm -hmm. 我还是喜欢我们中国的白酒, which basically means like, I still like our Chinese baijiu, which is the rice wine that's really popular here. And that makes sense because, you know, I don't think any liquor is all that tasty the first time you have it. And I'm sure that for many of the Chinese people who came into the little Johnny Walker kiosk that day that they were, <laughs> uh, they hadn't had whiskey before. And they, you know, the first time you have any whiskey, uh, any liquor like whiskey or vodka or baijiu, you're not going to like it. It takes some acquire, acquiring of the taste. And so it was kind of funny to see that, but from a different angle, because usually you see the foreigners who try baijiu and go blech. Dev Chen on Pick a Prop for Tun. Uh, this character ends up having a lot of uh, suggestions for uh, props. So this is the character that means a Chinese inch, but he's going with a... Uh, and a visual appearance of the character, he says that it could represent a basketball hoop with a drop falling through the net. Or, I thought of this, a dime. He shot a dime is like a basketball term, right? So it's like that's the ball going through the net, and it was so good it just like it was a dime. So there you go. I can see that. It's like a profile of it. The basketball net with the ball going through there or a drop. Sanja Krajnovic on pick a prop, and this is a, a prop that doesn't have a pronunciation, but we said loser because it looks like a person lying on their stomach, but he said it looks like a hammer to me, so he's going to have it be a hammer, and that's fine. Totally. Alina Dana Koroian, again, Koroian. I think I'm saying Koroian right. Alina, you can tell me. On pick a prop for bull. I've read this character is actually a pictograph of a flying bird, a bird that rises, flapping the wings straight towards the skies. And of course, bu means not or 
do not. So she says, I went with the prop, paradise bird flying freely into the sky, saying no to all cages. And, you know, so free as a bird is definitely a concept that we can understand. And, of course, the opposite. And birds also will go in cages. So it's a pretty clear delineation between freedom versus your cage, you know, all of that. So I think that that's a perfectly reasonable association to make the paradise bird work. Awesome. Next, we have Alina again on pick a prop for men, which means uh, a door or gate, and she picks the gates of hell from Bleach anime. So why not? I don't know. I've never seen Bleach anime, but uh, certainly the gates of hell uh, are a much more profound uh, object than just a simple gate or door by itself. And that's what you always want to do with the props. Make them silly, ridiculous, exaggerated, and overdone, and then there you go. You're going to remember them forever. Actors. So we have a few actor suggestions this week. And our actors are basically going to be uh, the people who represent the opinion initials. So we have four categories, males, females, fictional characters, and world leaders or gods, which is basically the representations of consonants by themselves, consonants plus the E sound for females, consonants plus the U sound for fictional characters, and consonants plus the sound for world leaders or gods. So first we have a tu, which is a world leader or god. And so Dev says, how about Justin Trudeau? Why not? He's been in the news a lot lately. And I won't talk about why because this isn't a political podcast. <laughs> Dev Chen on casting call for U. He says uh, he gave all his actors for the U sound. So we have U by itself is Yuna Kim, a world champion athlete. Nu is Neo and uh, Neo, it's either Neo or Neo is an American songwriter, singer, dancer, and recording producer and actor. Bordering on whether or not it's actually a world leader, but hey, you know, as long as you're clear on it. Lou, Leonardo DiCaprio, an American actor, film producer, and environmentalist, sure. Chu, Justin Trudeau, and Chu, Chu Yuan was a patriotic poet poet and a loyal official of the state of Chu during the Warring States period. Well, Dev clearly knows more about that early Chinese history than I do because I know that the Warring States period existed, uh, but that's about it. I can't, I don't know any of the characters from that period. <laughs> All right. Dev again on casting call for Chu, so that's C-U, and even though this person isn't a fictional character, which theoretically they should be, I went with Casper the Friendly Ghost for this one, but he goes with Steph Curry, because Steph Curry's last name starts with C-U, and this is, of course, the C-U representation. I think that's fine as long as you don't do it all the time, but, because, um, you know, Steph Curry is a real guy, he's not a fictional character, but still, uh, that's totally fine. Sanja Krajnovic on casting call for Zhu. Raj from the Big Bang Theory. Absolutely. No problem at all for that one. Um, fictional character and its name starts with R, so it works perfectly. Alina on casting call for Zhu. So we have all these fictional character ones today. She goes with Zangetsu from Bleach Anime. So yeah, again, Alina clearly loves anime, so that's why she'll pick a number of anime characters. And that makes it really easy when you have a particular world of fiction that you like, like anime or video games or comic books or whatever. You can just choose characters from that. Excellent. So let's do uh, some of the movies. So the movies here are when we take the props, the actors, the sets, we put them all together, and we come up with a full mnemonic scene to represent the character. So first, 
make a movie for Zhu. So this is very early in the course. This is like character number eight or nine or something. Sanja says, I remember the scene from Friends where Ross was in the bathroom and couldn't put his leather trousers back up. I need to enter the bathroom, but Ross is trying to pull his trousers back up and it's just not working. He's too embarrassed. He has tried oils, body lotions, <laughs> nothing is working. For some reason, there is banana on the washing machine. He has nothing to lose, so he takes the banana and rubs it on his legs. He throws the banana peel on the floor. He wasn't paying attention, so he slips in the banana peel and falls down. Then he starts his well-known, why, oh, why me? As, he, as I keep banging on the door and yelling how I need to enter, he sees there's no way out. Leaned on the closet in the bathroom is a samurai sword. He cuts the leather pants to get them off him. Since he was furious, he cuts them to pieces and then, holding them, opens the door from the bathroom with an ashamed look on his face and lets me enter it. I am dying from laugh laughing, but quickly enter the bathroom because I'm in a hurry. <laughs> There's so many things about this scene that make it uh, great. So first of all, and we got to remember that all the elements of the scene are here. The banana and the samurai sword are the props that are the components for the character. Ross represents R.U. The bathroom represents fourth tone. And he's trying to enter the bathroom, which is something you really want to do when you have to uh, go to the bathroom. You want to enter. So all of the elements of the scene are there. But what I like about it is that they're also all used in their proper fashion. So, for example, the banana... Uh, you know, he's getting desperate, so that's why he tries to use a banana to, you know, maybe help him get out of his pants because he's desperate. Like, why would you use a banana normally for that? But he does it because he's desperate. And then he throws it on the floor and does what bananas do. When you throw a banana peel on the floor, you slip on it. That's like a, such a common trope. So that's a proper use of that prop. And then we have uh, the samurai sword does end up cutting the leather pants. That's something a samurai sword can do. So you're using the prop correctly. The basis of the idea for the scene is that we need to get into the bathroom, which causes an emotional uh, sense of we all can identify with. I really need to go to the bathroom, but I can't get in. That's a, that's a thing that we all have felt at some point in our lives. And that is part of the scene because the bathroom represents fourth tone. So you're using the set to make the, uh, make the scene all the better. And then of course, uh, the final part of the scene is him getting in. And there's a bunch of emotional context of the scene. Ross, the actor, is acting how he would in the show. In the show, Friends, Ross is kind of an embarrassed guy who's always kind of why me, that type of pitiful type of character. I was watching a YouTube video once that showed uh, Ross's jokes without the laugh track. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty dark. Uh, anyway, so great, great scene, Sanja. I would highly recommend that people imitate that type of thinking. Alina on Make a Movie for Du. So this is the character for Stomach. This week, my native Chinese teacher from Confucius Institute said, many words regarding body parts have the beginning, uh, have the left side of the moon character because Chinese people used to believe the moon is connected to the human body and influences greatly the functioning of the body parts. Don't know more on this right now, but thought sharing it might help for others too. Well, you know, that's uh, news to me, but it does make sense because... This uh, moon component, by itself, it means the moon, or it means month, which is obviously related to the moon. And uh, But it, when it's in a lot of characters, it usually means, like, flesh. 
And we've actually said that you can use this prop as either moon or like a giant walking stake or something to represent flesh. And it's one of the rare instances where we say you can have two different props for the same component. And I didn't know this. I didn't know that ancient Chinese people <laughs> associated the moon with the human body, but that it makes perfect sense because why would they have chosen this component to be in all of the different uh, uh, elements of the uh, all the different characters that are in some way related to the to flesh, like all your organs and you know, your skin, and of course your stomach. So uh, that's that's pretty awesome. You'll call that pang. So any of the character components that are on the side, there's a character pang, which means beside. So if you say zhou, that means uh, meat or flesh. So zhou zi, zhou zi, that that zi means uh, character. So zhou zi pang. So the meat character side. And if it was on the top, you'd say, for example, cao zi tou would be. Um, Tall is the character for grass, and it can also it's also the top part of the character for flower. And so, because it's usually at the top, they'll say toe, which means head. So, pang, for beside, for the top. So, this is a little bit about character components, and um, thought you guys might find that interesting. Alina on Make a Movie for Fa. So this character means method or sort of like, it can also mean sort of law or uh, methodology. So Alina says, comedian uh, Louis de Funes, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's his, it's uh, Alina's F actor, is in the living room of Adrian's apartment. So that makes sense. Adrian and the uh, final in fa is a so and we're in the living room because third tone so adrian's apartment represents a third tone represents the living room and comedian louis de funes <laughs> i'm not here i shouldn't i should never try to speak other languages besides english and chinese <laughs> um is the representation of f okay so He's in the living room of Adrian's apartment where depressed Pokemon Go Pikachu, the representation of the right side component, wants to commit suicide. Oh, geez. We've got, we got emotional context right from the beginning. Adrian, who's the location owner, is trying to reset Pikachu's wish, uh, wish to live by throwing on him three drops of water from the magic water of life fountain prop for uh, the left side. So we've already got our two props here. It is said that three drops of water from the magic water of life fountain can bring to life dead persons, but it seems the method has no result for depressed Pokemons <laughs> that have decided to commit suicide. Then comedian Louis de Funes says, let's try the method now. And he begins to make his well-known comedy faces and gestures and sounds. So Pokemon Go Pikachu begins to laugh louder and louder until all the living room is vibrating with laughter. It seems Louis de Funes's method worked well. So I like that this story has a happy ending. If it were me, it would have been a much darker ending <laughs> because I'm kind of, you know, messed up. But <laughs> the uh, this is a great, excellent scene. It's got Pikachu and the three drops of water from the... Um, Ma uh, magic water of life fountain, which I guess must have something to do with something Alina has watched before. And those are our props. As I mentioned before, we have all the uh, actor set, uh, the actor and set represent the pronunciation perfectly. And then they're trying different methods to get 
Pikachu not depressed. And I mean, wouldn't that be exactly what you would do if uh, something you cared about or some, say something is Pokemon or someone you cared about was depressed? Of course, you would try every method you could think of to help them feel better. So excellent. What a great set of scenes we have today. These, you're, all, you're all awesome. Zach Morgan on Make a Movie for May. And this character means beautiful. I have my M male actor standing in the living room of my EI set. Okay, perfect. That's our, our pronunciation set. Clifford the Big Red Dog, which is the bottom component, enters the room, and all of a sudden, my actor starts loudly exclaiming how ugly he thinks Clifford is. <laughs> just walks in, just like, what an ugly, you're so ugly. <laughs> After a few moments of this, I suggest to my actor that he tries dressing Clifford up so he doesn't have to see him. After making Clifford put on a sheep costume, my actor asserts that Clifford now looks beautiful, and sheep is the top component. So, uh, perfect, and I just love the comedy aspect of that. Like, who would do that? Just like as soon as somebody walks in the room, oh, you're disgustingly ugly. Get out of here. <laughs> anyway. All right, nice. Next, we have Ija Amrahi's uh, scene for Make a Movie for Zul, which means tribe. And this, there's all sorts of different tribes there can be. Minzu is just like um, just a, a group of people, like a tribe of people. So they'll call the um, minority groups in China Shao Shu Minzu. So Shao Shu just means few number, so minority. Shao Shu Minzu. So the minority peoples of China. But then you can also have. Uh, um, Jiazu uh, is just like your family clan, right? Um, but then they'll they'll use it for other things. So they'll say like, um, here's a good one, di tozu, di. So that means lowered, toe, head, zu, and that's referring to the people who are always looking at their phones. Di tozu. So that's like kind of it's funny how they'll use it for even things that are just like new phenomenon. And that's what's awesome about Chinese because if you're going to come up with a new word, you have this bucket of meanings called characters and they're going to go, "Okay, well what which of these meanings makes sense to put together for this new concept that's just come into our modern day?" And Chinese is wicked at that. So you'll enjoy that as you continue to learn. All right, so let's get into Ija's uh, scene here. The keyword is tribe. The actor is Zazu from The Lion King. Uh, the props are Russell from Up, which is the left side um, component. And the right side component is a quiver of arrows. And uh, yeah, so we'll go from there. So then, oh yeah, right. So the Russell from Up is actually the left side component plus the top component. And then the quiver of arrows is the bottom right component. Yeah, because Ija's smashing it. She's so far in. All right. The tribal council has taken place in my childhood kitchen, and Zazu was reading out the contestants' names one by one. So just right off the bat, you want to think about this. Okay. The tribal council is taking place in my childhood kitchen? Great. <laughs> just what a good start. Um, and Zazu was reading out the contestants' names one by one. Russell was voted off the island. <laughs> Perfect. So I think this is kind of a, rela uh, a, um, uh, a reference to Survivor. Zazu extinguished his torch and said, Sire, the tribe has spoken. Russell then surrendered the quiver of arrows on his back and waved goodbye to everyone as he walked away from the scene. So 
Pretty simple scene, but very strong, strongly emotional. You get voted off the island. That's always an emotional moment. I actually didn't really watch Survivor, but a buddy of mine was watching Survivor the other day, uh, strangely, like from like 10 years ago. He was just watching some old episodes of it. And I remembered like how even though I didn't really watch Survivor, I, I got the cultural trope of like, oh, you got voted off the island and that whole idea. So that's an emotional moment, right? Um, and so, yeah, everything else is there. And... It's wonderful. Yeah, great great scene as always. I mean, what can you expect? Ija is a black belt at mnemonic visualization. A pronunciation question from Jesse Johnson on Mandarin Tone's third tone. Jesse says, The only time I can recall hearing the full down-up tone was in a Taiwanese web series where a guy was picked to be put into a volley- volleyball game, and he turned to the coach and said, with this really exaggerated third tone. LOL. Thanks for the clarification. So what Jesse's referring to is that most third tones are quite low. So if we take uh, the character for I, it's not that whole that's how Chinese teachers tend to teach it right off the bat. But the only time that you do that is when you're in isolation, like your coach says, you're going into the volleyball game and you're only saying that by yourself and you're exaggerating. So you're going, you're saying, and that's it, right? Like, really, me? Right? And then, so because you're saying it in isolation, then you give it the full third tone. But usually when you're speaking in a sentence, third tones are just low, you know? So it doesn't matter, may. They're just nice and low, short. They don't go up and down. They kind of stay consistent the whole way. And then um, there's other situations where you might exaggerate it, like at the end of a sentence, perhaps. If if it's a one-character word... That's at the end of a sentence, and you want to add exaggeration, then you might do it. Um, and maybe if it comes after a measure word, so like ipima, ipima, which means one horse, you might do the full third tone if it's right after that. But even if you were to say one wild horse, ipima, ma, 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 nice and low, ipima, ipima. So you can hear how it's nice and low like that, and that's what Jesse's referring to. All right, some final questions, some miscellaneous questions that came in during the week. Alina asks a new vocabulary unlocked. Regarding the sentence, she says, is also correct? Yes, can be a measure word for members of family. Um, and really, the only reason we decide not to put that there is because you can say jigeren, because gu is also a measure word for people, and ko is just a little bit more specific because ko is specifically people within a family. In this case, because we're saying ni da jali, which means your home, ni da jali, yo jigeren, yo jikoren, do koi. You can say either one. Jikoren is a little bit more specific, so you can do that if you want to be even clearer, but either one will be understood. Kathleen Gans on Anki Dex Inside, level 25 complete. She says, hi, Connor. Thanks for the links. I'm assuming that she's referring to the links uh, above. I am looking for nu without umlaut, umlaut, lu with umlaut, and pu. The pinion chart shows both lu and lu 
Nu and Nu. Are they being used interchangeably? Also, the last casting call in level 24 is for character 52 through 55. I can't find characters 53, 54, and 55. The reason for that, Kathleen, is that they haven't come up in the first... 36 levels. They come up in the lower intermediate course because the three that you're looking for, which are uh, Nu, Lu, and Pu, are pretty rare. They don't come up that often. And the first one you'll come across is uh, Lu, and then you'll come across Nu after that, and the final one is Pu in level 50. Uh, you don't come up with Pu until level 50 because it's just not that common. It's not that common of a, a pronunciation that you'll notice on the pinion chart that there's Nothing after P-U. There's no, like, Puan or or Puang or something like that. There's just Pu. So that one won't come up until level 50, and that's why you haven't come across it yet. And there's no need to pick uh, an actor for it until you're going to use it. So uh, don't worry, it's coming. Next, Ben Metcalf on level 5 complete. Zero days off. <laughs> And a little bit of context for this one. Uh, ben Metcalf is a friend of mine uh, here in Chengdu. And for the past uh, year, our, we started working out together because we happen to live in the same apartment complex here in Chengdu. And uh, uh, I showed him last year, towards the end of the year, a clip or two of David Goggins, who many of you may know, but if you don't know, he's a former U.S. Navy SEAL who's just one of those guys who's like a motivational speaker who's kind of like, he's kind of one of those guys who encourages you to face uh, the suffering of life and the pain of life head on and just be like, oh, you can't hurt me, you know, so whatever tragedy is going to come, you know, people get sick, people have family members that, uh, you know, get sick. They have, uh, just tragedies coming. That's the nature of life. We all know that, uh, our, uh, lifespans are finite. So there's two ways to react to that. One way to react to that is to be like, Oh no, that sucks and feel sad and whatever. Another way to react to it is like, you know, bring it on. Let's take it. I'll just, you can't hurt me, you know? And that attitude is something that was very inspiring to us at the time. So we decided, uh, like, David Goggins, to, in 2019, take zero days off of exercising. And so, uh, apart from a few days where I was really sick at the beginning of the year and went to the hospital and uh, a few days when Ben got a broken wrist, um, we have kept to it, and we're going to keep to it until January 23rd now because of the uh, couple small problems that we ended up having. But generally speaking, illness and uh, injury aside, we've kept up with it and taken zero days off. And... That's a mentality that is, you know, there's two sides to that mentality. So the one side is zero days off, and it's kind of like this, I can do it even when I don't feel like it, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to show up here and do my Chinese every day and kind of like, rah, you know, I'm going to do it and take on the pain of uh, maybe I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. But there's also another way to look at it, which is no zero days, which it's just changing the phrasing a little bit, but it actually has a different, much more, uh, I guess, compassionate approach to it. It's kind of like, hey, look, you don't have to do everything all in one day. You can't anyway, but you can definitely do at least one flashcard, you know, and if you did one flashcard, then you didn't do zero because more than zero might not seem like a lot, but it's infinitely more, right? So, no zero days is a much more kind of like, hey, we all are busy. We all have a lot going on. It's hard sometimes to get through, you know, all these different things. But, hey, can you just do one? Can you watch one video? Can you watch one uh, or can you do one Anki card? 
And uh, so those two mentalities, I kind of shift between them. <laughs> like sometimes I'm in that more like zero days off. Yeah, like I'm going to smash it today. I'm going to smash it tomorrow. I'm just going to, uh, you know, that take it on head on. And then other days I'm more like, hey, let's just not have a zero day today. All right. Yeah, I don't feel like anything. But let's just not have zero, you know. And so that's kind of uh, the nature, the ebb and flow of life, the Tao, if you if you will. Dev Chen on level eight complete. We've had a lot of uh, we have a lot of uh, comments on the level review lessons, which is awesome. So Dev says, "你的兴奋使我兴奋." So I like that. So, 你你的兴奋. So your excitement, 使我 makes me 兴奋, excited. So it's kind of, it's kind of awesome because the 兴奋 is like um, used in its two different usages. Because 兴奋 can be a noun meaning excitement, but it can also uh, be an adjective meaning excited. So uh, it makes so basically your excitement makes me excited. So that's pretty cool. Glad to hear that, Dev. Evelyn Rydell on bonus, the language learning tripod part three time. Evelyn says, this is some good stuff. Evelyn says, I find it helpful to set daily, weekly, and monthly goals. If I have it down in writing what I want to accomplish that day, then I'm much more likely to set aside time to accomplish that goal. After a week, I see if I have achieved my weekly goal. And if I haven't, I see where things may have gone wrong in on a particular day and figure out what I need to change to improve. Even if I don't quite do everything I wanted for my monthly goal, it still is significant progress, which is extremely encouraging and makes me want to do more. Putting it in writing is both inspiring and holds me accountable. So, right, there is absolutely a bunch of great stuff in that. And so here's why. One, writing things down just does have this psychological effect of like holding you accountable somehow, even though technically nothing's holding you accountable other than yourself, but it does do it. But here's a way to think of it. If you don't aim at anything, you can't hit anything. Right. So you can aim and miss, but in the process of trying to get to hit the target, you ended up making a bunch of progress. So and it's also I like this idea of after the week, it's a small enough frame of time that you can conceptualize where the mistake was. If you look at a whole year and you didn't reach a yearly goal, it's kind of hard sometimes to know where, where did it go wrong. But at the level of the week, you can totally see, oh, on Wednesday, I you know didn't get to everything I wanted to do. And so you can identify the issue. I have this happen all the time because I'm kind of in a constant state of figuring out what's the way to facilitate the most hours of concentration uh, because, you know, I, there's so much to do with Mandarin Blueprint. We're building it's an entire Mandarin learning curriculum. So there's a lot to do. And, you know, you still sometimes will have these moments of being like, I'm tired. I don't want to do things, things. Ah. And so how do I make that happen as little as possible and have that feeling of like excitement and, and flow as much as possible. And one of the ways to do that is to do these goal, writing down the goals, writing down exactly what you're hoping to achieve by what date. And then if you didn't reach it, figure out how, like it's just simple things. Like I'll just tell, uh, Annie, like, let's work on the sentences and let's try to get all of them done by, uh, the end of the month. And if we don't get them done by the end of the month, it's not like we didn't get a lot done, you know? So, Great advice for everyone, Evelyn. I just the habit building stuff is amazing because if you can successfully build a habit, that represents a genuine human capital improvement in yourself. And that's just like it's awesome. It's it's so cool because that's something that will actually end up helping people in the world. 
you know, you have to start with yourself if you want to help anybody else because a person with no skills and no particular wisdom is going to be no help to anybody. So you have to start with yourself, but then you're going to be able to move on and, and help the people around you. And that's awesome, especially when you learn Chinese. Jamie Miller on start shadowing in phase four. Great idea on the shadowing, but was wondering if you guys or anyone else had any pointers for where to acquire material for this stage of the course. So I'm not exactly sure, Jamie, if you're asking whether where do we get the specific material that comes from the Mandarin Blueprint method. If that's your question, the answer is every time that there's a new story, uh, there's going to be a PDF, a an EPUB file, and audio files that are in the actual lesson in the sidebar to download. But maybe what you're asking is uh, materials that are good for this level. Now, this is a little bit of an issue because it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily obvious which part of the course uh, corresponds to other companies' materials, but we are going to be incorporating Mandarin Companion books into the materials very soon. Uh, I'm expecting Jared to send me over the materials today, Jared Turner from Mandarin Comp Companion. And so uh, I can say for now that, um, you know, the stuff on the course, you can get in the sidebar and other things, you know, we're going to be incorporating into the course soon. And then, yeah, so just check out Graded Readers. Maybe check out chairmansbow.com, Mandarin Companion, of course. And uh, there's some other ones, uh, Do Chinese and uh, Link, of course. So uh, that would be my recommendations. And the final question of today from Ashley O'Dell on bonus character analysis of Xi. Wow, this is a great video. It's really helpful for remembering meaning of words, to have them broken down by characters. And even though it's hard to learn new words without seeing the characters, I think in the future, it will be possible to guess the meanings of words I hear in the street with this kind of background. Thanks so much. And so what she's referring to is a, a video that we actually shot back in 2017, it's a while ago now, that was an analysis of the character Xi, which is the uh, surname of the current Chinese president. And uh, it's also the character for a sort of study or practice, right? So um, when you look at a character by itself and then you look at all the different words it's in, you really start to get a concept of it that is deeper than just the character by itself. So it's like the Hansa movie method teaches you a character from the bottom up. So it says, here are the components of the character, here's how you pronounce it, and here's how you visualize all those elements of it, and you build up to the character. And then the next layer is the words that that character is in. So, she is in xue xi, lian xi, let's see, xi su, xi guan, right? There's all sorts of different words that have xi, and then when you understand those different words, you get a really good sense of the character. And so that's pretty cool. There actually was one more uh, question that I know came in this week. Let me just double check it here because, you know, we get sometimes questions that come in by email. So we're going to just check the inbox here because I'm pretty sure this was like a testimonial that came in that was pretty awesome. So let me just uh, double check that one. And yeah. Hello, Luke. Well, I was completely flabbergasted with your response. I firstly didn't think a human would read my message, and I certainly didn't expect a personal video response. Yeah, sometimes we'll respond to our uh, emails with a personal video from Loom. Just from the guy in the videos. That's cool. Thank you. I can appreciate automation errors as well as human errors, and I'm pleased you took the time to say, hey, and let me know what the scoop was. I think we had a, an automation, uh, email automation that went wrong. 
Your method rings so true and easily to me. I have a degree in speech and hearing science and two further degrees in audiology. So I immediately was able to understand my errors in Mandarin once placed once uh, place and method of articulation were discussed. It's the speech pathologist in me, and glory be you speak my language, so to speak, so I could then easily understand what I need to do or listen for to hear the differences in the sounds. Complete genius. I have to say, after one day of working with the pronunciation guide, I waltzed into work. <laughs> I, love that. I waltzed into work and asked my colleague, uh, who had been helping me learn bits of Chinese, and with a big smile on his face and said, whoa, your accent has improved so much. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him that it was a, it was due to a British and American duo and not solely to his efforts. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you don't need to tell him that. And then I leave for Suzhou tomorrow evening, so I have some remaining cram time to go. I still wish there were a streamlined solution to learn as much as possible before I go. As an aside, the Duolingo owl has been haunting me since I found you guys. It's a bit creepy. The owl sends emails and texts to, I think he can tell I've defected to a new method. I just wish I'd found you when I found him. I'd be so much further along. Darn exchange rate makes made the purchase very... Uh, dear, since it was in USD, but it's an investment I'm not taking lightly. I look forward to traveling to China and spending the next four days learning as much as I can. I wish it were longer. Uh, thank you again for your response. I really appreciate it. Have a lovely weekend. Kind regards, Anne. Well, thank you, Anne. I'm so happy to uh, see that you're enjoying the course. I mean, these testimonials, they, they just... They warm my heart and they make me so happy because it means that we're doing something that is actually helping people. Um, cool. So... Next, we have another one from, uh, we have another one here that came in from Mike. Mike says, I absolutely love Mandarin Blueprint. I might be a long time out of school and probably nowhere near as smart as most of your clients, but I'm amazed at how much I've picked up from just the pronunciation program already. I listen to Mandarin radio on my commute to and from the office, and I'm able to pick up now on so many things. In a month, I've gone from hearing what might as well have been birds singing to each other to picking out tones, words, and even simple sentences. I study at least an hour each day. I think you need to change the word study as there, um, there has so many connotations, yeah, negative connotations. The Anki cards are outstanding asset, and they really do work. I was disappointed at how often I would have to click again, but after several days, I would start clicking easy because I was learning. Sure wish I had that during my school days. I have no timetable to learn. I just have the excitement of discovering this new language and can't wait until I have a discourse with someone in Chinese. I enjoy the short videos as it keeps me from being overwhelmed and uh, have, having to fill notebooks with notes. I try to review each unit every day, spending more time on the newer items while being able to fly through the older ones as they become ingrained in me. I could just spout ton of, tons more to say. Thank you so much for your outstanding program, Mike Rochford. Well, uh, thank you, Mike. And I would say that, you know, you can study the former uh, lessons if you want. And I think that you might just be saying that you're studying them via Anki. But if you're actually going back and looking at them, it may not be necessary to do that. Anki in and of itself should, in the end, filter out that which you understand and that which you don't understand and then give you more of what you don't understand and less of what you do understand so that you'll eventually pick it up and learn it. So it may not be necessary to actually go back and do that, but I'm just 
regardless, I'm thrilled that you're having success with the course. And if you don't have a timetable and you're just being motivated by interest, that's kind of one of the best states to be in. You know, it's like, sure, the timetable can be very motivating, but it can also cause you to get stressed and like, you know, oh, I have to do this. Whereas if you don't have a timetable, you can kind of just enjoy and have a good time throughout the whole process. So thanks so much, Mike, for your uh, ringing endorsement and that's it for the Mandarin Blueprint podcast this week. MandarinBlueprint.com. Send us an email at contact at MandarinBlueprint.com if you'd like to reach us, and we'll catch you very soon.